Hey, welcome to Conversations on the Co-Mission. This is a podcast where we're talking about the topics, the trends, and the issues that impact missionaries and the churches that partner with them. This is a very special episode for us. We have with us today not only Stephen Madoff, but Dr. Don Sisk as well. Well, hey, Tony. Uh, it's good to be with you again. And by the time anyone listens to this podcast, it will be the brand new year. When we record this, it is still the old year, but when anyone listens to it, it will be the new year. So let me be the first to wish you a happy new year. As you said, this is a very special episode. We are privileged to have Dr. Don Sisk with us and joining us. And uh, he was just wandering the halls here of BIMI today, and we decided, hey, let's just grab him and uh, pick his brain. That man has a fountain of knowledge of missions and just really connections with the missionaries and the partnering churches. And that's kind of who we always try to talk to. And so we thought, who better to speak with and ask some questions than Dr. Don Sisk? Hello, Dr. Sisk. How are you today? Hey, doing great. Great. Good deal. And we're, we are privileged to have you join us. You are only our second uh, guest speaker that's joined us on the podcast. So, wow. Yeah. I'm honored. <laughs> Most people do know you. If they're involved in missions, if they're listening to a podcast like ours, they probably have some understanding of missions and things of that nature. So your name would be familiar. But just in case, just in case, why don't you just kind of start us off just a little bit with the path God has taken you on. How did you get into missions? And then just kind of give a summary. I know it's hard to sum up all your experience in just a few minutes, but kind of just share what the journey God has taken you on and where you're at now. Of course, I was born and reared in uh, Western Kentucky. My dad was a coal miner. It wasn't a Christian home. I got saved when I was 16 years old at a Youth for Christ meeting. And uh, right away, I uh, got involved in the work of God in various ways. I joined the Baptist church soon after getting saved. And uh, Virginia and I got married at a very early age. I don't tell young people now how young we were because they're not old enough to get married at that age. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, after, after we got married, we moved up to uh, uh, Gary, Indiana, where I began working in the, in the mills and so forth up there. And uh, got involved in a real good Bible-believing church that had a lot of evangelistic efforts and so forth. And uh, that was where I felt called a priest. So in 1954, uh, I committed my life to be a preacher on Thanksgiving night, 1954. We left our jobs in Indiana and went back to Kentucky to go to Bible college. And uh, even before I got enrolled in Bible college, I was pastoring two churches. One of them had church on the first and third Sunday. The other one had church on the second and fourth Sundays. So I tell people on the fifth Sunday, we didn't go to church. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, then after I got out of college, I, I got a full-time ministry at Second Baptist Church in Providence, Kentucky. And it was there when God really began to deal with my heart about being a missionary. And long story short, okay, I got a letter from Don Mobley while I was pastoring in Providence, Kentucky. It's a, it's a good church, and we had some good things happen there. But uh, in Providence, Kentucky, they had 3,000 people, and they had uh, three Southern Baptist churches. At the time, I was Southern Baptist. Three other Southern Baptist churches. They had Presbyterian, Methodist, everything, you know, whatever you want. I got a letter from Donald Mobley. I'd written an article for the Western Recorder, the state paper of Kentucky, the Baptist of Kentucky, and uh 
in essence, he said this. He said, uh, dear brother says, God, I don't know anything about you. I don't know your age. I don't know your educational attainment. He said, uh, but I read your article and I could not help but believe whoever that is, that man has a heart for God, for missions. And he said, uh, we're in Akita, Japan. There are three and a half million people here. <laughs> we're the only missionaries here. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, the last question in that, that uh, letter was, what would keep you from coming to Japan? <laughs> mm-hmm. So I couldn't find any reason. <laughs> anyway, a, a few weeks later, I went to an evangelistic conference in Louisville, Kentucky. Heard Dr. Baker Cawthon preach on the untold millions. And uh, that night, I committed my life to be a missionary to Japan. Uh, of course, we, Virginia and I talked about it a good bit, so it wasn't a big surprise to her when I went back home and told her. A few days after that, the amazing thing, I got a memograph pamphlet from Baptist International Missions Incorporated. It was a new mission organization that had started two years before that time. They had their doctrinal statement, their philosophy of missions, and I thought, you know, that's what I believe. I knew I couldn't go with Southern Baptist because uh, I hadn't gone to seminary and uh, I was, I'd have been too old after I went to seminary, okay? So uh, a lot of things. Anyway, uh, God worked out so many things. And bottom line is, uh, 1965, we left Harvey, Illinois and went to Japan as missionaries. And it's been a wonderful journey. Wow. That's neat. Thank you. Thank you. And well, that's a, it's a great question that that gentleman asked you, like what, what kind of, what doth hinder you from coming to Japan and going into missions with our podcast? We do try to encourage folks to on, on the path to missions and of course, sharing different fields at times. What do you see as one of the, I guess, major hindrances for folks when they have to ask themselves that question, what do you see in just your years, your experience? What is one of the things you see that hinders people from surrendering maybe to missions? Uh, a couple of things. Number one, uh, materialism. You know, we have so much in America and people look and they think about going to mission field. And some people have the idea that everybody else in the world is starving to death and they don't have anything. <laughs> in a lot of the countries, they have as much as we do here, but they, they don't understand that. Another thing is the home. Most parents don't want their kids to go to the mission field. Now, they love missions. They give money to missions. They pray for missionaries, but uh, they don't want their kids to go to the mission field. And uh, I, I think that's sad. And uh, today, uh, there's so many more options. For instance, in 1965, if you were not a pastor or a music director, there was probably no job in the church for you. And now they got a job for everybody who graduates from Bible college in churches. I, I, I think uh, the, the fact that there's so many opportunities here in America for physicians and churches and so forth that uh, they, they just don't consider the mission field. Hmm. And then the, the big thing is, we just need some commitment and total commitment to God to go anywhere, to be anything, to do anything he wants us to do. And if we have that kind of commitment, uh, there'll be a lot more people going to the mission field. Dr. Sisk, as you speak about 
so many years in missions and seeing so many different things and and amazing how the Lord led you from Kentucky to Japan and then to finally become the president and general director of BIMI, now uh, president general director emeritus. Through those years, what is maybe one of the things that sticks out in your mind in missions that has changed maybe for the better, uh, maybe how we do missions or partnering with churches, but something that sticks out in your mind that maybe for the better. And then on the opposite side of that, maybe what we're not doing as well that we used to do as well and, yeah. and maybe need to be reminded <clears throat> of. Okay. Uh, let, let me start with the good things. Okay. <laughs> when I was on deputation and I was on a deputation uh, six months. Okay. It didn't mean I raised a lot of money. Uh, I just didn't have anywhere to go. So I went to Japan. <laughs> uh, we had $500 a month support, a little bit less than that in, in going to Japan as missionaries. And that's a miraculous thing what God did. But you know, you'd go to churches. If, if you got an offering of $50, $75, that, that's a pretty good offering. Okay. And I'm in churches now where it's not unusual for all the missionaries to get a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars and uh, all kind of gifts, computers and iPads and all those things and so forth. Of course, back in those days, you didn't have any of those things, so you didn't need them. Okay. And then then the, the attitude of churches toward missionaries. Uh, there were a time when it was nearly thought uh, people go to the mission field because they can't succeed here in America. Uh, when I was on furlough one time, a lady said to me, uh, Don, I'm, I'm I'm sorry you couldn't get a church while you were here this time. <laughs> I wasn't looking for a church, okay? Uh, but the attitude that people have toward missionaries now, uh, it is so much better. Uh, thank God most people are doing away with profit chambers even, okay? <laughs> uh, all of us have had some real bad experiences. Now, there's some good ones along the line, uh, so so that that's good too. Uh, the, the good things about the, those days, for instance, uh, when I first started preaching mission conferences, it was unusual to have a mission conference where someone did not commit their lives to be missionaries. Mm. Uh, at one time, Bible graduates from fundamental Baptist from fundamental Baptist colleges, about 12 to 15 percent of the people were going to the mission field. Okay, that, that, those are the good things about the old days, you know. So uh, I'm not wishing for the old days. <laughs> a lot of people are, but the good old days uh, for so many of them, they, they weren't as good as we uh, reminisce about, okay. <laughs> but there were a lot of good things about it. The main thing was the commitment of the missionaries. In other words, they didn't go to the mission field on a trial and error basis. They, they went to stay on the mission field. That that that's a that's one of the things that's lacking today. Let's switch it to actually on the field. What are what are some of the the great things you're seeing on the field with as far as training nationals? That all missionaries want. We they should go with a desire to re reproduce themselves in a national person, right? And and many times over even, and it's something we talk about here on our podcast. What, what are some things that you see that help that process, that help to identify someone and to train them? Um, 
is it seminaries, starting a Bible college of their own to that church, sending them away to a Bible college in the in that country? The need for national leadership in, in ministry is important. So what are you seeing and what are some things that you maybe can just share about that? Yeah, and, and from the depth of my heart, I believe the main mission, the main thing about missions today is training of nationals. Okay. Now that doesn't mean we don't win so it doesn't mean we don't start a church for our own and so forth. But long run, if we do not train nationals, then when the missionary leaves, the work is all over. Uh, I've traveled to some 80 different countries around the world, and I've seen so many buildings and so forth where nothing is happening because the missionary left and there was not a trained worker for the work. Let me give you a personal example, okay? In the uh, first year of the church that uh, was established in 1965, uh, Sydney Newtown Baptist Church, which is really, was really from day one a miracle church, you know, we had 11 people saved the very first service. Wow. The man that's pastored that church for 50 years was saved the very first night of our meeting. <laughs> uh, by our first anniversary, we had uh, eight young people that had committed their lives to full-time Christian ministry. And uh, the first one we sent to a college, it was a America, uh, 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 I some, some sort of Baptist, I forgot now the name but in a Mennonite combination. And I looked at their doctrinal statement and everything about it. It seemed real good. And uh, so we sent a young man to that college. Seemed like every week when he came back, I had to reteach something that he had learned. You know, In fact, I went to church one Sunday and on the front of the bulletin were the five points of Calvinism. <laughs> So we didn't have a bulletin that day. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so I began to think, okay, if, if I'm going to have to reteach everything he learns, we might as well start something. So uh, at that time, Ron White, Dave Markham, Lila Lanier, all Tennessee Temple graduates were there in, in our area. So I solicited their help. We had a little room that we could use every day for our public meetings, we just used the uh, rented rooms and so forth. But we had this one room we could use all the time, just a little apartment. It was six by nine. <laughs> okay. And uh, it had a table in the middle of it. And the teacher was at the head. But each of us taught one class. Okay. And so we taught four classes to four students. And that was the beginning. And by the next year when we had our camp, there were several other people that committed their lives to be missionaries. And so we actually established the Kansai Independent Baptist Bible College. It became, you know, the, I guess at first it was just a Bible study in our church, Sydney Newtown. Uh, and from that, we had our 50th anniversary uh, two years ago. And uh, there's been over 500 graduates from that college. Never a big bunch in any one year. I think... Maybe the largest largest number at one time would have been 25 or 30, something like that. But think about 500 graduates, you know. Now, you look back and you thought, man, we're not doing much. 50 years later, hey, God used it. And by the way, uh, those first four students are all still in full-time Christian worker, except the one that went to heaven. So... 
the, the, the need, number one, before you think about a Bible college, you got to get people saved. <laughs> okay. And uh, when you evangelize and get people saved and start churches, then from those churches, uh, you'll see the need to start some kind of a training institution. And they're all kind. You say, what's best? I don't, I don't know what's best. Uh, what may be best for one place? For instance, the Philippines. So many churches have a Bible college. And that, that's great. Uh, in Japan, uh, just one church, it would be nearly impossible to have a Bible college. Different countries had a different way. But regardless of what the, the method is, somehow we have to train nationals. When I look over, uh, you know, 54 years now of ministry in Japan, man, it's just, it's amazing what God has done. That didn't seem big. When I was in Japan, I'd get a prayer letter from somebody in Africa and they showed a film and 100 people got saved. (laughs) (laughs) They'd do something in the Philippines, 200 people get saved. We'd have a big meeting in Japan, two people would come. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, but, you know, long run, the training of the nationals has now developed a great core of churches all over Japan. I just learned yesterday that one of our graduates is building a 500-seat auditorium in uh, Okubo, Japan. That's amazing stuff, Dr. Sisk. You know, as as you talk about all that stuff, that just to hear that is encouraging. One of the many gifts God's given to you, for sure, is the gift of being able to encourage others. As we as we speak, this podcast is really geared towards missionaries who are on the field or missionaries who are trying to get to the field. What would you uh, say to encourage those who are maybe in the deputation process right now, especially in a year like we're in 2020? I know we're just right now as we record a day away from 2021, but the, the truth is <laughs> tomorrow morning, we're going to wake up to the same news cycle. What would you say to encourage those that are on their way to the field? And then maybe what would you say as a way of a word of encouragement to those who are, are there on the field presently as well? I, I, I think one of the big things is really having a burden and a commitment for the field that God has called you to. I, I remember reading history of the early missionaries, the early missionaries that left America. And when they would leave, they would prepare a big box that's things to ship their things in and it could be used as a casket. In other words, they didn't go to Japan or wherever they were going to spend a few weeks. Uh, they went there to die on the mission field. Now, I don't know that that's necessary, okay? For instance, none of us died on the mission field. All of us went to a field, Australia, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Japan, and so forth. But uh, even though I've changed different positions, I've never considered myself anything uh, but a a missionary. One of my good friends died just a few days ago. I went to the viewing, talked to his wife and so forth. And uh, they were members of our sending church, Calvary Baptist Church in Harvey, Illinois. When that church got without a pastor, uh, he called me and said, Don, our church has voted unanimously for you to be our pastor. 
thought, well, I'm not a candidate. <laughs> but I really had to pray about that. The church had just, in a few years before, built a big new auditorium. And, you know, it, it's so many good things in so many ways. And I loved those people. And I had a hard time with that. I prayed about it for a couple of weeks. I can hardly do anything but think about it. And I remember calling Ron White one Sunday morning. I said, Ron, after the service tonight in Nishimaiko, I want you and Odessa to come to uh, Akashi. And, uh, she can spend some time with Virginia and the kids and so forth. And you and I can have a prayer meeting. I need somebody to help me. And we went over to church and we got down on our knees and started praying. And I had not been on my knees 30 seconds until I was just as sure that I was not supposed to go back to that church. And by the way, I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> A lot of bad things happened at church. Okay. <laughs> Thank God I didn't do that. Yeah. And then, it, you know, even after I came back as a Far Eastern director, uh, there were three or four churches that, you know, pastors that were leaving there and they wanted me to come pastor that church. And I think about it, pray about it a little bit. But uh, I, I just thought, I told one in Lynchburg, Virginia, uh, Madison Heights Baptist Church, I said, uh, you know, if I'd come here in Lynchburg, Virginia as pastor, I'd preach on Sunday and Monday morning, I'd drive around Lynchburg and there'd be churches everywhere in the world. And I'd think, what are you doing here? <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad I stayed in mission, praise the Lord. I'd encourage them, don't, don't be too quick uh, to, to, to leave. I think 2020 might be the worst year BIMI's ever had for attrition. And many of them have only been on the mission field for maybe one term, several of them so far. So, uh, but I would encourage them to really be sure that uh, God has called you into missions. Now, I don't mean you have to go one place and spend all your life there. For instance, Paul, did, he went from place to place, country to country, and so on and so forth. Uh, it's absolutely necessary that people feel positions like you're feeling today, you know, the two of you. I mean, that is as vital to missions as the ones on the mission field, uh, to be sure that they have a burden for missions. I appreciate that very much. What about the other aspect? You touched on the missionaries that kind of listen to this podcast, but then also the partnering churches. What's something that maybe if you wish pastors would know? And I think you, you've touched on something that's really good. There's been a, a change in how they treat missionaries. There's kind of more of a let's be the door open the doors of hospitality and love and graciousness and yeah. and i do think that there is not as much um kind of high pressure what are you doing for me today kind of mentality in in it's happening in in churches and, and pastors but what would be something that if you if if you had the ability to speak to every pastor and give one thought what would it be that you wish they would know about missions or or could change about what they do in regarding to missions in some way? I think probably the place that we are deficient as far as missions more than anywhere is really praying for the missionaries. Okay. Uh, particularly the home church. I remember the last Saturday night I spent in Harvey, Illinois. We had a Saturday night men's prayer meeting. 
And they had that every week, of course. And uh, those men said to me that night, probably 15 of them, Brother Sisk, you're going to Japan. But you can be sure every Saturday night at 9 o'clock, 8 to 9 o'clock, we'll be on our knees here and we'll be praying for you. And I got to Japan and learned that 9 o'clock in Harvey, Illinois, was 10 o'clock on Sunday morning in Japan. <laughs> but they did pray for me. They 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 communicated the best they could. Uh, I came home and one of them said to me, I bet you never needed a secretary to answer all your letters, didn't you? <laughs> and I said, yeah, sometimes I'd get one letter a month. <laughs> <laughs> but today, there is absolutely no reason for the home church and even the supporting churches to communicate with their leaders, with their missionaries. And I don't mean the pastor would have time to communicate with all the missionaries, but wouldn't it be great if every church assigned one person in that church to communicate with the missionary, one missionary on a regular basis. Uh, there's a few churches that do that, not many, but that'd be a great thing. Just, just to keep in mind that the, the, the needs of the missionaries on the mission field, and particularly the needs of the children and the, the wife. Well, we have time for probably maybe one or, or two more questions anyways, Dr. Sisk. As you're talking and, and going through this, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of talk. We hear a lot of things about um, missions isn't maybe the way we do missions isn't the right way any longer, or we're not raising the support that we once did, or um, deputation is too hard, too long, <laughs> uh, lots of different things. Um, if there was one fundamental thing that you could say, you know what, I think we could do this better uh, in missions today, um, as you observe and as you've been so many years in missions, what would you, what would be that one thing you would say, I think we could do a better job at this overall, not just the churches, not just the missionaries, but maybe even individual Christians, what could we do uh, to be more effective in the gospel ministry around the world? I'd say, tell me how. There are different ideas about how to do missions. And uh, every once in a while, somebody come up with something, and this is the only way. For instance, a few years ago, an organization started team missions. Send out teams. You know, that's, that's the only way to do missions. And another one, you know, churches starting churches. That's the only way to do missions, you know. Well, on the mission field, there's no church to start a church many times, okay? <laughs> and not only that, many of those teams, they, they didn't work out so good. But when they started, they had an idea. This is the way. There is no the way to do it. Now, there's a biblical way. You go, you evangelize, you disciple, you know, you start churches, you train leaders. Those are all the, the things we need to do. But uh, I, I don't think there is any. A, this is the only way, okay? If I tried to tell you what would be a better way, uh, somebody would say, no, 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 that's not the way at all. <laughs> But to be honest, we're doing a, a good job, okay? Mm -hmm. The way that we're doing missions 
with Baptist International Missions Incorporated, I believe is as biblical a, a philosophy and procedure as you could do in our day. In other words, that's the reason I'm with BIMI. You guys are doing a great job. Thank God for you. Well, all right, let me ask this question. And this is kind of hits in my neck of the woods of the world as far as the 1040. That's kind of a buzzword to hear. Go to the 1040, uh, reach those who haven't heard, you know, heard. Do you think that there needs to be an emphasis on this? Or, or my thought is, I mean, of course, I want people in my part of the world to give the, hear, proclaim the gospel. But if someone in Spain hears, hears the gospel and gets saved and a church is established, to me, that's just as good. Or if someone in Brazil or someone in, you know, another country that has, has a mis- history of missions. So do you think we're, that a focus on a people group or a region is beneficial and, and that's productive or no? You know, I'm thankful for everybody that is involved in trying to reach the 1040 window. Okay. I've thought about it a lot. I've prayed about it a lot. Thank God some of our missionaries are going to some of those countries. Okay. Many, many, for instance, uh, uh, Japan's in the 1040. Some of the countries that you're associated with would be in the 1040 way. But then when you, when you stop and think a minute and, and, and I'm going to get in trouble here. Okay. <laughs> How few people in those countries, even after hearing the gospel, listen to the gospel and get saved. Okay. While somebody might go to the Philippines, and in a couple of years, if a good soul winner goes to the Philippines and works at it on a real good basis, in a couple of years, they could have three or four hundred believers in that church. So, uh, Jesus said, look on the harvest, look on the fields. They're white already to the harvest. Back when I first started going to mission conferences back in 1974, several people got called to the Philippines. And I had pastors say to me, well, why are so many people going to the Philippines? And I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't call people. I, you know, I tell them about needs and preach the gospel and so forth, but I don't call people. But think about the great harvest in the Philippines. Well, God knew there was going to be a harvest there. That's the reason he sent all those missionaries over there. So I'm not against the people working in 1041. I've got some good friends and some missions that just nearly put all their emphasis on that. But let's not neglect the fields that are receptive today. Okay. With a dovetail real quick with that is... There's another trend kind of about missionaries should go to certain people groups rather than going to countries, that it's an outdated method of saying, I'm, I feel God calling me to Australia, or I feel God calling me to Thailand, but that there's a lot of mission agencies really that would say, who, which people group are you going to? In Thailand, right? You're not going to a country, you're going to a people. Do you think that that, if, if someone says, hey, I just have a, God's leading my heart to go to Germany or to India, do they have to have a people group? Or it's Because it is one of the modern trends that is very much happening in missions now. It's a modern trend, but you look in the Bible, 
uh, and the missionaries, man, they preached everywhere to everybody. So there, there, there are different types of churches that are established. You know, some churches are established in very wealthy areas, like the church in Osaka, for instance, Sydney Newtown Baptist Church. They ministered to some of the most intelligent and most wealthy people in the world. You know, they're in Japan. Well, I didn't start a church to reach rich people. <laughs> uh, we started with high school students, college students, children a few adults and so forth. And if, for instance, somebody says, I'm called to the deaf. Okay, you're called to the deaf. But while you're ministering to the deaf, don't neglect the hearing. Paul was a missionary to the Gentiles. But his heart desired prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. He even said, I could wish myself accursed for my brethren, the, the, the Jewish people and so forth. And, and you know, there are certain areas of the world where there are just certain uh, people, groups, that uh, they do not associate with anybody else, and there are people that are called to reach those. So I, I, I don't know. There's so many things about missions that I don't know. Just in case the people in Japan are listening, and they do listen. I, I'm not sure about this, but I, I, I encourage them to do it. Uh, so today I just say, Omerito Akimashita. Congratulations. A new year has come. <laughs> you know, and by the way, New Year's in Japan was far different than it is here. All the everybody went to the temple and they literally took trucks to take the money to the banks. Hey, since since you did that, Dr. Sis, give us John 3.16 in Japanese as well. Okay. So they come and go to Sounds legit to me. It works. It's <laughs> 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 like I was going to say it now. Well, Dr. Sisk, this has been... Uh, Definitely special for us to have you be a part of this. And we probably could just keep going to tell you the truth. But if we're gonna cut it on this podcast, we're gonna we're gonna end uh and wrap things up here. There's so much more I wanna ask and and, and carry over. Maybe we can have you in on a, another time and and uh and get some more time to shoot you some questions and and all, but Thank you for taking the time to uh, be with us today. I'm sure anybody who's listening has been blessed and encouraged by this. And if you have any questions for us, or if you have a comment on anything that uh, Dr. Siska has said, contact him directly. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and myself, <no>. not. <laughs> you can contact us through the through the show notes and uh, we appreciate you taking the time to listen this week and we do hope that you have a a really great new year and uh, thank you for listening we trust that this has been a help and a blessing to you until next time hope you have a great week in the lord